Today, we're actually wrapping up uh, a series that we've been in uh, for the last four weeks um, that we call Gospel Fueled. And, uh, and so it, it is the end of a series, but hopefully it's just the beginning of uh, an emphasis for us as individuals to, um, to focus on the gospel as the motivation, as the, the, the thing that drives us, fuels us to do what we're meant to do. And so we all have a motivation. We all have a reason, a why behind every what. Uh, there is a motivation behind everything that we do. Uh, we're engineered, we're designed by God to, to run on a certain type of motivation, a certain type of fuel. Um, something is supposed to compel us to do things, and that, that thing, that fuel, is the finished work of Jesus. That, that is the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. And so uh, the hope and the intention is that this, this series is very important, but um, the, the focus and the emphasis continues, and, and that's uh, every day we grow more and more in our, our dependency on the gospel in our life. And so um, I know for personal experience, I, I, I've, I forget the good news. Um, I get so caught up with the negative and the bad news and just the, the everyday life stuff that I forget that it is finished. The gospel tends to, to leak and we can, it can slip our mind and we can kick into some other kind of practice and kind of do-it-yourself religion. It happens often. The gospel is, is it slips our mind. Uh, sort of like the other day, last week, uh, I had a moment. And uh, I was, uh, I had a lot going on on La Cabeza. And uh, if you've ever been like this, where you're so, uh, Jesus put it very nicely when he talked to Martha. He said, you are so worried and so bothered about so many things. Uh, I was having one of those days where I was so worried and so bothered about so many things. And I stopped at uh, Sher- Sherwin-Williams uh, to pick up paint. And uh, I had my, my sweet, sweet 1998 uh, Dodge Ram truck that I named Ramuel L. Jackson. And um, it's pretty cool. And so I, I was, I, everything, there's nothing automatic about this, this truck. Um, the, the windows, you have to do this. Uh, the, the locks are one of these. And so I had stuff in my truck, so I, I locked the doors. Um, I, my, my passenger door was locked. I locked my driver door, and I got out. And I was like, man, I need to lock my passenger door. And so I went over to it, and I, I pulled the handle. I was like, oh. So I unlocked the door and opened it so that I could lock it. Jesus help me. And uh, it was one of those moments, and I, as soon as I pushed it closed, I just stared at my truck, and I was like, I am not very bright. <laughs> uh, it was one of those moments, where, but, but it just slipped my mind. It just slipped my mind. It was already locked, and it just didn't connect. Um, the gospel is similar, that we, uh, we get in a moment. I had a moment yesterday where I just was um, having crisis. Our fire alarm was going off here for whatever reason, and uh, we had an event coming up, a big event, and so my wife and I were just scrambling, trying to figure out what to do, what to do, and apparently uh, lightning had struck the panel, and it was, it was just kind of short-circusing, short-short-circusing, it was a short circus, <laughs> the clowns were, anyway, so, um, uh, so it, was, it was really, it was a crisis, and, and in the moment, it's like, uh, finally, like the last thing that I do, I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus, uh, can you intervene, please? And so sometimes it's the last place we go. We're like, God, you, you love me. 
you take care of me. Uh, you, you are vested in me. I can trust you. And so uh, we forget. It slips our mind that, that God is, is big and in control. And so um, I've been asked over the years, just in conversations, hey, Chris, uh, how can I turn my life around, change my life? How can, how can I change things? And, and my answer is, is it, ref, it really resembles the conversation that we've been having for the last four weeks. I, I go into the gospel, and the gospel is transformative. It, it, it is the only thing that can get to the root of who we are. Um, we can do cosmetic changes and, and update, you know, the outside and try harder and read, read a couple books and put, put our best foot forward. But the thing that, that can really get in there and, and transform us, who we are, is the gospel. And, um, and so I have personally, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I've been in church my entire life. And uh, I've been in ministry for 25 of those years. And, um, and, and, and truthfully, the only thing that's ever really revolutionized me, changed me, was not my efforts. Uh, it was not reading a good book or listening to a podcast. The thing that has completely changed me as a person, uh, kicked me out of the world of being a total prideful Pharisee, and brought me into this beautiful world of a dependency on the grace of God is the good news of Jesus. And so it is absolutely necessary for all of us. And so um, hopefully the emphasis grows in priority in our hearts, in our lives, in every aspect. Um, Now, there's so many different moving parts and pieces to life, and I want to acknowledge that, that everybody in this room would probably categorize their current set of circumstances as being busy. And uh, I remember back in the day uh, when you used to ask somebody how they're doing, the canned response that we would just automatically rattle off, um, um, I'm, I'm good, things are good. And that was just sort of a default response. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Now, in our current modern day, it seems like the default response is not so much good, but it's busy. How you doing? Busy. How's it going? Busy. Uh, I, I'm guilty of that. I say that, and, and it's my response to most people, um, because I am. And part of that is life is complicated, and there's lots of plates that we spin. I mean, um, and there's lots of priorities that we have to give ourselves to. Um, a great marriage requires attention. Guys, take notes. Um, because I'm really good at this. <laughs> right, Sonia? <laughs> okay. Um, she did not amen right there. But anyway, it's all right. She did in her heart. Uh, but it, a great marriage, if, if our marriage is going to be wonderful and, 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 and our, any relationship is going to be good, requires attention, requires focus. It requires um, being involved and, and, and leaning in. And so if we want to have great kids uh, and we want our kids to have a great life, and to succeed, it, it, we have to be present and engaged and involved. We can't just kind of send them off and let them, you know, here's a screen, leave me alone. You've got you to gotta be in, uh, in their lives and be engaged. And, and if we want to uh, succeed in our career, it, it requires investment. You have to care. You have to, you have to have a good work ethic. You have to Get involved and grow as an employer, as an employer, as an as a entrepreneur, whatever it is. 
Um, if, if, if it's something that we care about, it, it requires investment. It requires um, caring. It requires uh, leaning in and, and giving our best. And, and, and in beyond that, we have to take time to care for ourselves. Um, we are all human beings, and life gets tough, and so we have to take some time to make sure that we're investing and in, in care for ourselves, emotional, mental, physical, uh, the health, uh, the, the overall holistic health of ourselves as a person. We need to be in tune with that because you get going after a while. You're on the treadmill. You're like, man, I'm just burned out. I'm not doing well. And sometimes we just kind of ignore it and, and hope it goes away. But the, the truth is we need to take time to care for ourselves. We want to experience life. We want to have a great life and, and experience beautiful things and travel and see places and vacation and, and make memories and, and have fun. These are all very important aspects to life. And in, truthfully, the person that cares about all those aspects of your life more than you is God. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we kind of put God in this category where he's just only after our spiritual compliance, our moral uh, compliance, and just doing what he wants, us, checking off the boxes of the checklist. That's all God's interested in, and that's not true. God loves you completely, and he, he cares about every aspect and every dimension of your life more than you do. And, and to trust God, we have to, the, the Bible says that boldly approach the throne of grace because he cares for you. He loves you. He's invested in you. It's the only way we'll do it. Well, the only way we'll trust God with our life and, and, and our families and our careers is if we're confident that he cares more about those things than we do. And part of our unwillingness to relinquish and, and live by faith, walk by faith, is we think that we're the only ones that care about ourselves, and it's not true. God created you, and he created you in such a way that he, he designed you. He, he wants you to experience dreams and beautiful moments and have an abundant life, a life characterized by abundance. And, and I realize that in our endeavors, in our, in our efforts, in, in our giving ourselves to create a beautiful, wonderful life for ourselves, this takes place, and I know this is hard to admit, so I'll take one for the team, and I'll admit it myself. We give ourselves, and we lean in, and we give the best of us, the best of our time, the best of our money, the best of our efforts, and the best of our attention to make sure that all these aspects of life, our relationships, our career, our dreams, our ambition, our personal health, all these things that we give ourselves to, we do that. And somewhere along the way, we realize, even though on paper we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, and we're checking all the boxes, and we're giving everything that we got to these things, we stand there and still feel this sensation of dissatisfaction. Even though we might be firing on all cylinders and doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, somewhere along the way, the older you get, the more real this becomes. You're like, I'm doing everything. I'm trying to keep this world spinning. I'm trying to make sure everybody's happy. I'm doing everything I can. But somewhere in me is still this, this itch that I can't scratch. I still feel this deep unfulfillment, this dissatisfaction. 
and it's hard to admit and maybe impossible to admit, why would you turn to your spouse and say, hey, I, I, marriage is great, but I still feel this deep dissatisfaction? It's the truth. I think it's Henry David Thoreau called it the, uh, the, uh, the life of quiet desperation. And uh, it's the truth, and it, and it happens. And, and even though we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, everything that people tell us to do, everything that people lay out to us as the, the pathway to uh, a happier, your best life now, I'm doing that, and I still feel listless. I still feel restless, and I feel dissatisfied. And, and so a lot of times, and this is not always, but a lot of times, when that happens, when that occurs, and you're giving everything you got to create a life for yourself and you're still not happy, a lot of times what we turn to is escapism, just to ignore the reality of what we feel. And so we try to numb that feeling through escapism, and that could come through a lot of different things. We lose ourselves in, 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 in technology and in video games. We lose ourselves in, in media and entertainment. We lose ourselves in drugs and alcohol and other forms of just escapism. Just let me get out of here because I don't want to acknowledge or confront the reality that I'm just not happy. There is a um, powerful story in the Bible, and we're all very familiar with it, where, um, and, and I don't know that we can fully understand the controversy of this moment, but uh, it is incredibly controversial. But Jesus himself is traveling with his disciples, and they stop uh, for a breather outside of a Samaritan village. Samaritans were neither Jew nor Gentile. They were considered sort of half-breeds, and there was uh, strict religious laws, um, customs, that, that the Jewish people, the Samaritans, were enemies at odds. Uh, these are the worst of the worst. You stay away from them at all cost. And so they stopped outside of this village at a well. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus sends his disciples on to the next village to go get some Chick-fil-A and bring back Jesus' chicken. What else would he eat? I mean, come on. And so Polynesian sauce, got it. And so uh, he's waiting for them there. A, a Samaritan woman is approaching the well. Now, the, the Bible tells us that this, this time of day is, is, in, the, is in the heat of the day. Uh, and so she's coming in the heat of the day, which traditionally you would not come get water when it's the hottest. And, uh, but she is obviously probably uh, trying to dodge other people and, uh, and just kind of do life by herself. And so she is surprised, startled to come across a Jewish rabbi sitting at this, this well. And they have an exchange. We understand the exchange. I think we've, we've all been familiar with it. And he says, listen, this, you're going to keep being thirsty. Uh, if you keep coming to this well, you're going to keep being thirsty. It's never going to fulfill you. It's never going to fully satisfy you. He says, I will place a wellspring inside of you that, that you'll thirst no more. And he, he brings up her husband. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not married. And so... He knew that and was basically uh, uh, causing her to acknowledge her current situation. She said, uh, I'm not married. He says, I know. You've been married five times before, and, uh, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. You would think maybe Jesus is confronting her, 
her uh, moral uh, sensibilities, but not at all the case. He brings up her attempts to find satisfaction for her soul. Uh, there's something that is uh, not fulfilled within her. And so she is continuing to find, look for love in all the wrong places, and she's trying to find fulfillment. Now, now picture the, the, the image of a husband in that time, culturally speaking, in that, in that, in that time of, uh, of, of history. Uh, this husband represents um, provision. He would be the source of income and source of protection and source of love and all kinds of different ideas, but he is the, pro- the provider, the source and Jesus is saying, you're, you're going to all these different sources and, and basically says, you, you've looked for this to be fulfilled in six other guys, which is the number of man representing mankind. And then he says, now you found the one who can fulfill you. He is the seventh person, uh, the number of completion. I'm going to place a wellspring inside of you and you will thirst no more. It's beautiful. It is a, a deep satisfaction that is not external, but that God places internally. And uh, there is a, a great quote by St. Augustine who, who said that the quote is, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Uh, there's no satisfaction for our soul until we find our soul finds its home, its rest in our creator. While on the cross, a uh, Roman soldier, and we're going to be, you know, looking at course the good fridays in a couple weeks and easter's in a couple weeks we'll be really focusing in on celebrating the reality of what christ did for us at the cross and in 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 while jesus is on the cross famously a roman soldier pierces his side with a spear and uh and the bible describes blood obviously pouring out but also water pouring out so we get this physical representation of Jesus as a fountain. Come thou fount of every blessing. Jesus is a wellspring of life. Jesus is a wellspring of living water. And he is the source of satisfaction for our souls. Proverbs 4.23 is... Um, beautiful statement above all else above everything else above every other priority we have to guard our heart for it is the wellspring of life uh, Romans ten ten tells us it's with a heart a person believes faith it is our heart it would the it's not just the pump in our chest what it's speaking to is our spirit the soul of who we are the the real you the eternal you the spiritual you, uh, I, I've used this quote many, many times, but we are not, we're not natural people having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual people having a natural experience. We are inherently, deeply spiritual. We're first and foremost spiritual. Now, we have flesh. We're experiencing a natural existence temporarily, but we are eternally spiritual. And so uh, deep calls to deep. The, the heart of who we are connects with the Spirit of God, and that is the source of the wellspring of life. There is a river that flows through the, from the throne of God that, that feeds who we are, what we are, 
from the inside out. And so that's the wellspring of life this is speaking to is there's something within us. It's the same exact thing that Jesus promises the woman at the well. He says, I will place within you a wellspring of life that you will thirst no more. You will no longer crave something that you lack. In Luke 19, uh, chapter 9, uh, you find this rare instance where uh, a town where Jesus traveled kicks him out and says, no thanks. And so he, he and his disciples travel to a Samaritan village. They're, they're trying to bring truth to these people who have been ostracized and, and demonized and there was a lot of racism and, and, and segregation as it relates to the Jewish people, the Samaritans. And Jesus is there to bridge the gap and say, I'm, I'm here for everybody. And they say, get out of town. So they drive them out. Uh, it's so jarring that two of his guys, James and John, they, uh, they, they turn to Jesus after they've been exiled. And they say, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on this village? Which is a silly thing to say. It's like, have you guys done that before? You think you can, they're just so confident. Yeah, yeah, we can totally, and uh, we can just totally take these guys out if you want us to. No big deal. And Jesus rebukes them. He confronts them. He's like, no, that's ridiculous. There's grace, there's love, there's compassion for all God's people. And so, um, now contrast that moment. Jesus himself could not minister in the Samaritan village. But then he meets this one lady at a well, and she's got uh, a sketchy past, and she's looking to avoid interaction in community because she might feel shame, she might feel embarrassed, she might just be hurting, and so she meets Jesus, Jesus promises, you'll thirst no more, I'm going to place within you a satisfaction that you've never experienced before, a wellspring of life. The Bible describes her going back to her village and immediately telling people about the goodness of Jesus. This woman starts preaching the gospel to her village to the point where they start, the curiosity starts to grow. They're interested. They're, they ask, can Jesus come to town and be here, stay with us? Jesus does. He stays there. The whole village comes to know Christ, is saved, is redeemed just because of what happened on the inside of this lady. Something transformed within her. We are, we are designed to live in that same current that she experienced. To live in that same flow and, and from the same source that this woman experience in her life and beautiful things happened she made an impact where where some some people would write her off as sort of just an outcast from society she's not she's not the type of person that we want to associate with but God uses her to completely transform an entire village it's incredible we're meant to live a life 100% dependent on Christ as our source we are meant, we are the bride of Christ. We're meant to be connected to him as a source. It's no accident that his first miracle was uh, six vessels, which represents man, B 
being filled up and then poured out for other people. It is, and, and it's no accident it happened at a wedding because we're the bride of Christ. This is what we're called to be. This is how we're called to live. And it's beautiful and it brings a satisfaction to our souls that nothing else will. I read this, um, I've read this many times, but I had a newfound experience with this prophetic word in the book of Jeremiah. Of course, Jeremiah, famous Old Testament prophet. Um, some beautiful words of God in this book. Uh, I want to turn your attention to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, this, I could not describe the human experience better and uh, the reality of what we experience as, as Christians, as people, better than what God says through Jeremiah here. So Jeremiah 2, 13, um, he is confronting uh, his people in this statement. My people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living waters. And the second thing is they carved out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. Now, this is more meaningful as you realize what a cistern is. (laughs) Uh, It's not something that we necessarily think of every day of our life, you know, i got to check the cistern. How's the cistern doing? Going to Lowe's. You got any cisterns? Um, I've, got a, I've got two cisterns. <laughs> My charity and Allie. Uh, so, um, I, I, a cistern is just a man-made thing to catch water, to catch rain. That's it. So, this contrast is clear in, in God's words here to Jeremiah. They, are walked, they walked away from the living waters, the fountain, the wellspring that I am for them. And what they've chosen is their own handcrafted cisterns. Now, a cistern is, there's a lot of conditionality with a cistern. Uh, if it's not raining, you're not getting nothing. And so it's very temperamental it's it's conditional uh through good times it's great through bad times it's it's awful and then he goes on to say also by the way they're all broken and they all leak what you realize is that this is so so practical this is how we live life we 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 beg all the people and all the things and, and, and possessions and experiences of our lives to be the source of satisfaction, to bring, to drink and have satisfaction for our souls. And we beg these things to bring that to us, and they, they, they don't. Or they might temporarily, but they're broken and they're not going to sustain you. And so we're on to more, bigger, and better things. Has anyone in the history of mankind ever said, you know what, I got enough money, I don't need any more, please keep it to yourself? In the modern age, has anyone said, you know what, I've gotten everything that I need possession-wise, I don't really need anything else, I'm staying off Amazon for the rest of my life? That would, Jesus would come back, that's a miracle. That is not going to happen. It's never enough. There's, there's a, a part of our flesh that is insatiable. 
it is never, ever enough. And part of that is because we're, we're, we're not drinking from the right fountain. Jesus is saying, I, I'm encouraging you to choose the fountain of living water, to choose the wellspring of actual, real, zoe is a word used in the Bible, zoe, which is deep, spiritual, eternal life. The cisterns that we build for ourselves are broken. They can't satisfy us for long. And this picture is also on full display in a different way, and I'm going to bring it home here, in the book of Galatians. Uh, and, and I never tied these two things together, but I just followed the lead of the, of the Holy Spirit this week. And, uh, and my eyes got big, and I was like, that's, that's cool. And uh, so, anyway, I'm going to go to Galatians. Uh, Galatians, real quick, history. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote this, this letter uh, somewhere between the late 40s and um, early 50s A.D., and it's written uh, to churches in the southern region of the Roman province of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. They were called, referred to this as Asia Minor. So this is a lot of um, churches that, that Paul himself founded. And so he, he actually started these churches. It was a community that uh, was new believers who uh, have recently come to know Christ and or living out this new experience of Christianity and, um, and they are being affected by a, a lot of outsiders who are insisting, uh, the, we would refer to these people as Judaizers, they're insisting that these new Christians, these new converts, have to become Jewish too. And so they would say, Jesus is a nice guy, what you're doing is, is fabulous, but you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Mosaic law. You have to adhere to the customs, the, the rituals. And so it's Jesus plus Judaism. Jesus plus law. Jesus plus ritual. And this is the Apostle Paul. The, the book of Galatians, so much of it is just him saying, don't go back. You, you, Moses has led you out of captivity, out of slavery. Don't go back to Egypt. Uh, you're free. And so... Um, Having said that, this is uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 12. And this is his, he uses language in these verses that he doesn't use anywhere else. It's very strong. And, uh, and we'll talk about this as we close. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He doesn't use that anywhere else. And then he doubles down and says it again. As we have said before, so I say again now, I reiterate, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ." Paul equates turning away from the gospel with turning away from Jesus. 
you are, uh, you're, you're deserting him for a different gospel. The association is clear. It's not that you're picking another, another route. I'm just picking a different, a different message. Paul's saying, if you're choosing something other than the gospel, you are, you're choosing something other than Jesus. And this reminded me this week of this statement. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living waters, to carve out for themselves cisterns. God says through Jeremiah, you're abandoning me for other sources, other messages, other fuel. Cisterns that are man-made that can never, ever satisfy your soul. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us is the wellspring of life. The finished work of Jesus Christ is why we do what we do. Because he loves us, and the Bible says, let everything you do be done in love, it's because he loves us that we love. It's because he loves us so much that he gives freely to us, and that's why we give. We don't care because we're good people. Because <laughs> sometimes we're not. And sometimes people get involved in situations, there's a thing called virtue signaling. You guys heard about that? I'm more into vice signaling. Uh, I let everybody know how awful I am. But uh, I, there's this thing called virtue where you say, I, I'm going to help someone, but I'm going to take a selfie while I do it. Even though we do nice things, do we do them for the right reason? I don't know. Sometimes not. But there's a greater motivation that, that for whatever reason, just even when we don't feel like it, even when we're tired, even when, when we're grumpy, something within us propels us to love, care, and serve, and prefer others. It is super natural. And I want to close with a very practical description of how this works in our everyday life. Some people would say, Chris, I don't really get how the gospel moves us to do anything. Well, let me, let me put it this way. When, when you realize, when the lights come on and there's a revelation like Paul said. I didn't receive this because someone was clever and gave me a clever argument. I, I got a revelation of Jesus Christ. When we get a revelation of Jesus Christ, which comes by way of the gospel, the, the, the Bible says when we turn to him, the veil is removed and we see. But what causes us to turn to him is hearing the gospel. Hearing the good news. And, and we have to keep hearing it because a lot of times we'll slowly turn away from the reality of Jesus and our eyes gravitate to ourselves. This is about me. It's about my feelings. It's about my emotions. It's about my desires. My will be done. How does this practically cause me to do anything? When we have a revelation of Jesus and how much he loves us and how he is everything for us and we have everything we need in him and with, we lack nothing In him we have been made complete. That statement is in Colossians, and it is past tense. We have already been made complete. We're not, in him we're trying to complete ourselves. In him we have already been made complete. We have everything we need in Christ. We lack and want for nothing. Regardless of where your situation is right now, it's not incomplete. We look at our lives sometimes as it's a puzzle and we're missing pieces and you're not 
Jesus is everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We have everything we need in Christ. The wellspring of life looks like this. I met my wife in 1999. And it was love at first sight for her. And can you blame her? Uh, so she, we met. And that natural notion of the Jerry Maguire complex, you complete me. She didn't need me when I met her. And I, no offense, Sonia, I didn't need her. I had found Christ. She had found Jesus. We weren't two incomplete people. We were two complete people. And when God brought us together, there was beauty in that. And we look to other people to be Jesus for us, and we, we think that if, if I could just get married, I would finally be satisfied. Talk to some married people. And some people, if, if we could just have four more kids, talk to people who have a lot of kids. We're asking these cisterns to fulfill us. And they don't. The way we're designed is to be the... To be a source, to be a vessel for the living water. So look at, hear me. You going into a situation, you are going in as a vessel, and the living water is making the thing that you're going into better. You're not going into any situation to get what you lack, you're going to every situation to give what you got. You are a vessel for the wellspring of life. And so everywhere you go, this wellspring brings flourishing and fruitfulness everywhere. He is our source. We are the vessel. We're not going to get satisfaction from anybody or anything. We're going to bring the satisfaction of Jesus everywhere to everyone. Can I get a what what? When we are satisfied in our soul, when we realize that Jesus is everything, we have everything we need in Christ, now we're free to live life differently. We no longer have the compulsion or the necessity to take. We are now free to give. In every situation, I don't need to get anything from you. I have everything I need in Christ. Now I'm free to give. Our, our relationships become less transactional. Our relationships become less conditional. Where we are in, is in such a fragile state in our culture where we need everyone to agree with us in order to, for us to be happy. That is being, that is, that's cistern behavior. You need them to do something for you to feel satisfied? Uh, we're drinking from the wrong place. When you have everything you need in Christ, people are free to be as boneheaded as they want to be. And we can love them right square smack where they are. Jesus says, hey, love your enemies. How do you do that? By not needing them to comply with you for you to feel satisfied. Why do Christians go around trying to conform and change? Because... If you would just do what I need you to do, I would finally feel satisfaction in my soul. You're drinking from the wrong place. At some point, we've got to give up on the cisterns that just don't satisfy. They're broken. It's not that they're bad. It's not that they don't belong in our life. It's not that the people in our life don't belong there. 
It's just that we, they're, they're not fulfilling our life. We are bringing fulfillment from Christ into that situation. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you've been married five times. The guy you're with is not your husband. It's almost like he's saying, this one ain't going to work either, buddy. I'm just telling you, it's not going to work out. Because those people, those individuals, flawed, fractured human beings cannot bring satisfaction to your souls. Only God can do that. So this whole series, I'm going to end it here. Being gospel-fueled is continuing to plug in. Your phone is great until the, the little battery is on, you know, 1%. And then this crisis. Then you start praying. <laughs> um, you got to charge it. Hearing the gospel, talking about it, reading it, making it part of our everyday experience, being a part of small groups, being involved in Sunday morning, being, being in, your, in the Word of God, reading it. Listening to it is plugging in our lives to be recharged and be reminded what it is that this is all about. Because as much as our job can tick us off and it becomes the thing that we think about, it's not the end of the story. It's not the big picture. It's not, as much as your, your neighbor's dog pooping in your yard is like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Do I kill the dog? I mean, what do you do? Do we move? Don't do any of those things. <laughs> Give it to Jesus. You, you really, it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. There, there's, so much, there's so much more to be connected to that source, the everlasting God and his everlasting love for us. Man, life gets bigger.